where would we be? Where would you be apart from the gospel? The fact that the Holy Spirit supernaturally intends your heart. Superintends your word, superintends your life. If it had not been for the gospel invading our minds and hearts, opening us up and preparing us for the Holy Spirit to reside within us, we would be a mess. We would be broken. We would be uh, doing whatever we wanted, however we wanted, uh, abusing others, abusing ourselves. But God being rich in mercy, when we were, uh, had our back turned towards him, he had his face turned toward us. If, if it had not been God who reached down and got you from where you, I don't know about you. Do you remember where you used to be? Do you know where you may be right now? If the gospel does not come, then we will, we would be condemned to hell. An eternal existence apart from the goodness of God. Glory be to God that the gospel has come and has penetrated our hard heads and hard hearts. Not because we just looked at Jesus one day and thought he was so sweet, but because from the inside out God had been working to open up our blind eyes, open up our deaf ears, and to soften our hard hearts that we would receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Glory be to God that we have the privilege and honor to be in this house of worship one more time. Come on, give God a, a hand, hand clap of praise this morning. Lift the Savior up, the one who has kept you and blessed you even this past week. Amen. Amen. Indeed, it's a privilege and honor once again always to be with you in worship this morning here at the church gathered at Forest Baptist. It's always good to see your smiling faces and my prayers that my prayer is that you didn't have to wait to start your worship. My prayer is that even though we may be tired from staying up watching the game, that you don't have to be primed and pumped to worship because we recognize what God has done in our lives. And through the busyness of our lives, we get distracted. The busyness of our lives is easy to take our eyes off Jesus, but it's when we take our eyes off Jesus when we start to sink. Some of us this, this morning, we're sinking. We're sinking. You're sinking. May Jesus rescue you today. Look to him this morning. As we look into his word, as we prepare to celebrate 151 years in gospel ministry here at Forest Baptist Church, it's, it's an exciting time of the year. I'm always grateful to, to have a moment to look back to see where God has brought us from and even from the, the, the pictures that we're, we, we, we've been seeing played before worship service and seeing uh, the faces of how people have grown up here and uh, all those who have uh, uh, come through these doors. It, it, we are part of something special here at Forest. It's completely by God's grace. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve this building. We don't deserve one another, but God. 
because of his kindness, has allowed us to see 151 years of gospel ministry. Amen? And just a personal point of privilege, uh, we're celebrating another birthday around here. My oldest daughter, Nadia, she turns 11 years old today. I'm so grateful for her. What God is uh, doing through her and just to keep her. But this week we continue in our study of the gospel according to Matthew. As we reflect upon the topic that the king has come, and this is a journey with Jesus through the gospel of Matthew. On last week, we began in chapter 1 to, to, to dig into this genealogy. If you would, turn with me to Matthew, the first chapter. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the first chapter. And as we continue to work through these first three chapters of the gospel of Matthew, we saw how Matthew, he is, he is taking the pieces to this beautiful puzzle, this, this portrait, and he is beginning to frame the, the exterior so we will have a foundation in whom we can walk through as we go through the entire book of Matthew. He is, he is lining up those corner pieces so as we, we, we fill in the pieces, as he fills in the pieces, the portrait of Jesus would just come through vividly. Last week, we saw how through this genealogy that he is connecting Jesus to us, the readers. He is connecting Jesus to history. He is a real historic figure. He is connecting Jesus to humanity through this broken line of people. We see that uh, Jesus comes, that if God can use broken folks like this, he can certainly use us. But we also see how is connecting Jesus to our hope for heaven, our heavenly hope. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have no heavenly hope. For there is no one else who has come who could rescue us. He is the Messiah. The Messiah is here. He has arrived, the son of David, the, the king who will sit on the throne and reign forever, the fulfillment of the specific prophecy to Israel that a king would come. So this is a fulfillment of a specific promise. But yet, this is also a fulfillment of a universal promise because Jesus is also the son of Abraham. And through Abraham, all the families of this world would be blessed. Those who would turn towards Jesus through repentance and faith. So this morning, we continue to lay this exterior framework before filling in the interior. So here in Matthew, the first chapter, we will begin reading at Verse 18, if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew, the first chapter, beginning with verse 18. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This morning, I'd like to place a tag upon the text before us, simply Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. If you would, please join me in your hearts as we go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, heavenly and marvelous, most gracious and wonderful God, creator, sustainer of all things, the one who is worthy of our worship, you who are preeminent, you are the best of all beings, there's no one, no one like you, there's no one who compares to you, dear God, you are our all in all, for you are king of kings and you are lord of lords, you are omnipotent, omniscient, ever aware, ever knowing all of the details of our life, dear God, you are transcendent, you set apart from us, you are not like us, but, but yet you are imminent, you are near, you are with us, Emmanuel. And Father, as we come this morning, I ask, I beg, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would be with us this morning. Please set our hearts aflame for you. Father, give us affections for you as we have been distracted by this world and we really don't have a praise on our hearts, Lord. I ask that you would override our apathy, override our selfishness, override our thoughts about what's going on later and bring us to you right now to your throne of grace by the, in the name of Jesus. Father, we need you this morning to help us to worship you. As Satan's greatest desire is to distract us from the truth. Father, may you make it evident to us today that you are Emmanuel. And you are with us in the midst of this world, in the midst of the muck and the mire, in the midst of taking care of our children, you are here. In the midst of paying our bills, you are here. In the midst of, 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 of living with our spouses, you are here. In the midst of working hard jobs, you are here. In the midst of sickness and disease and brokenness, you are here. In the midst of death and trials and temptations, you are here, for you will not leave us nor forsake us. And Father, not only are you present with us, for those who belong to you, you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, you are in us. We are never without you. So, Father, I ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak. That you would move in this place. That Jesus Christ would be exalted. And many would come running unto the Savior this morning. Please forgive me for my sins. Please create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, may you blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' precious and most holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. 
So here, as we look at this birth story, I'm, uh, I'm tempted to ask the question of you, what is your birth story? How did you get into this world? Where did you come from? What, what state were you born? What hospital were you born in? What, what farm were you born on? What house? It might not have been born in a hospital. What time did you get here? Who was there? What's your family name? What's your birth story? How did you come to get the name that you have right now? Now, my mother tells the story that if it was up to her, my name would have been Andre. But Reverend Nathaniel Bishop Sr. chimed in, and my name is Nathaniel. How were you named? Is there a reason that you have the name that you were, were named? You know, in America, quite often, most names these days are arbitrary names. They really don't mean nothing. They just have a nice ring to them. Or, 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 or parents are trying to be unique. They, they're trying to have a name that no other child has. So instead of a, a name having a, a meaning, these days names are just that. A name. And there's nothing right or wrong about that, but that's just something we notice because in ancient Near Eastern times, uh, uh, most names had some significant meaning to them. And the meaning of the name not only was something that identified the person, but the name also signified the destiny or the direction in which the person would go in their life. We see many names in Scripture for people that, that have a weightiness to them. But not only do we see names of people having weightiness, we see in Scripture there are many names for the, the, the God that we serve. The generic Hebrew word for God, Elohim. That was his generic name. And, and what they did in the Old Testament was take El. Uh, to rep represent God, and they will add some type of verb or characteristic, some type of attribute, and give God a new name. Names like El Elyon, God Most High. The God who was set apart, the God who is not like anyone else. Or names like El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is magnificent. There's no one more powerful than him. Or in the Old Testament, we see that only is there generic names for God, but there are more personal names for God. God has revealed himself to his people. That, that personal name for God is not, is not Elohim, but it's, it's Yahweh. Or we may say Jehovah. Or in your Bibles, it's the L-O-R-D, all caps. And it's in our Bible that we see the names of, of God as Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh will provide. Has God ever provided anything for you? Has God ever kept you when you couldn't even keep yourself? God will show up and show out in ways that, that will blow your mind. And, and when the grace of God falls on your life like that, when, when Jehovah Jireh shows up, that's when you're able to say amazing grace. Or maybe his name is Jehovah Shalom. Yahweh is peace. Is God able to give you a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding? Not because your situation or circumstance ain't all that, but because in the midst of your situation and circumstance, God is all that. 
Has he given you the peace of salvation, knowing that if you were to leave here tonight, if you was to die right now, would you wake up and see the Savior face to face? Maybe you have that peace. Jehovah Shalom. Jesus has shown up in in the midst of the chaos of this world, and he has brought peace out of chaos through his shed blood. Or maybe you, you may call him Jehovah Nisi. Yahweh is my banner. He's the one that fights on your behalf. When you show up to work, you call on Jehovah Nisi to show up. Lord, before I open up this door, would you be my banner? Would you be my strong tower? Will you be the one who goes before me before I walk, clearing the path that I may have peace? Or do you fight all your own battles? What they say about me? Always worried about what they say. Always worried about what your reputation may be. The latest social media posts. Maybe Jehovah's canoe. Yahweh our righteousness. Are we trying to exist in our own righteousness? Showing up to church because it's the right thing to do? Or are we showing up because the righteousness of Christ already dwells upon us and we want to show off his glory to everyone else? See, here in Matthew, this New Testament gospel, he is reaching back into the Old Testament, but he he wants to remind us of another name for God. And his name is Emmanuel. God with us. God is not the, 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 the God who is far off. He's not the God who just has created everything and say, go uh, and, and let his world go into motion without him being uh, involved in all the, the details of life. No, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He, he has not left us. He has not forsaken us. We are not by ourselves, even though we may feel like we're by ourselves at times. Emmanuel has come. There's something about these names. Last week, we talked about the name Jesus, Yeshua. The Lord is salvation, or or Yahweh saves. So, beloved, if we we think about the name Jesus, if, if the name Jesus is what God does, then Emmanuel refers to who he is. Yahweh saves, but yet he's Emmanuel, God with us. The gospel writer, his point here. It's that sin no longer rules over God's people because God is with us. That's the message to you and I today. Sin no longer has, has its power over us. Sin no longer has victory over us. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Sin can't, can't keep telling you what to do. All because God is with us. You know, it's easy to see this story as just a Christmas story. Some cute story about how baby Jesus was born in a manger. But beloved, it's it's that type of thinking that makes us all too familiar with this story. We think because we've read it before, because because we played Joseph and Mary in a play when we was little, that we really know about this story. But what he's trying to communicate to us is is that you need to stand back and see the beauty, the majesty, the magnificence of Jesus put on display for you. And as you sit back and understand just who he is for real, you would give glory and honor to him. 
the Apostle Matthew, over the next eight verses, eight verses, he, he helps us to delve into the depths of this truth, Emmanuel. And he explains what it means to have God with us. See, Matthew, he gives us the facts of Jesus' birth that we would focus on our need for Jesus. He gives us the facts so we would have focus. He is making a claim about this world in this passage. He's not only making a claim about this world, he's making a claim about you and I and our needs, but he's also making a claim about Jesus. Walk with me through the text as Matthew lays this out for us because he wants to, uh, to point out a few things. And the first thing that he does, he wants us to understand the means of God with us. The means of God with us. How did the Messiah show up? Just how did the Messiah arrive? Where does he come from? How did he get here? See, in verse 18, this word, now the birth of Jesus, that, that's the same word used in verse 1, where it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus. And right here it's interpreted the birth because uh, uh, Matthew begins to lay out just how Jesus came into this world. Now remember, both these words mean Genesis. So last week we talked about how, how God was doing a new thing. He was, he was creating a, 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 a new reality through Jesus Christ. So right here we have this new creation named Jesus. And this, and this new creation is not like anything that's ever been created before. This new creation is magnificent. This new creation is a miracle just as the book of Genesis chronicles the creation of the entire world. As a matter of fact, beloved, these first two chapters of Matthew are actually uh, uh, somewhat similar to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, the first chapter, we have a macro view of creation. God, on the first day, he created. On, on the second day, he created. And, and we have the, 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 this, this macro 30,000-foot level view of creation. He creates the, the, the lights in the sky. He creates darkness. He creates the, the firmament. He creates the atmosphere. And then God, he creates the, the water. He begins to separate the water from the dry land. And then as, as God has created this fabric, he begins to feel that, that he begins to feel those containers. He puts the sun in the sky, the moon in the sky, and the stars in the sky. Then he moves on to the atmosphere. He begins to put the birds of the air in the atmosphere. He, he moves to the water. The, the fish begin to dwell in the, in the, in the sea. And then he, he begins to put the, the, the animals and the plants and the vegetation on dry land. He, he's filling up these containers. And the pinnacle of his creation is mankind. And God does that in seven days. But, beloved, understand, Genesis 2 is not a separate account of what takes place in Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is a detailed account of what took place in Genesis 1. So what does he do? What does he do? Moses zooms in and says, the man was created out of the dust of the ground. And the woman comes from the rib. And, and he begins to give the details that the man was placed into the garden to have dominion and to rule over. He gives the details of the story. And here, in the first 25 verses of Matthew, Matthew does the exact same thing that Genesis does. He gives a, a creation narrative. In verses 1 through 17, he gives a macro look. The genealogy of Jesus. This is how Jesus got here. He is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Son of David. Son of Abraham. 
And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob. And he gives this, this, this 30,000 foot level of where did the Messiah come from? Where did this new Genesis, this new creation come from? But in verses 18 through 25, he begins to get the details. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ. And he tells the story of Joseph and Mary. And he says that when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, she was, before they uh, came together, she was found with child. That phrase came together is a euphemism for sexual relationships. Before they, before they had sexual relationships, they, they were supposed to be married, but before they actually uh, uh, had the covenant of marriage and, uh, and consummated their marriage, she was found with child. And Matthew goes on to tell us that this child is from the Holy Spirit. But, but Joseph don't know that. Joseph gets word that his boo was pregnant. He's like, that wasn't me. Now, Mary, I, I don't know about you, but I know how babies get in this world, and, and something's wrong here. And the text says that he goes off, and he's a righteous man. He, he's struggling with this, and he's wrestling like, no, 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 no. What, what do I do now? See, when the text says that they were betrothed to one another, in Jewish ancient Near Eastern tradition, there were two stages to the wedding process. The first part was the betrothal process, and the second part was the actual wedding. But the betrothal process is not like our engagement. It's a little bit more. The betrothal process had two stages in and of itself. First was the selection of who you was going to marry. And a lot of times the, the parents were really involved in who, were, who was going to be married together. Remember, these are small towns, small communities. Everybody know everybody. You know, you know who you want your family marrying and who you, you don't want your family marrying. So they get together and they, and they figure out who's going to marry who. That's kind of like the first stage. But then the second stage of the betrothal process is actually like a, a legal procedure. And a document is signed that this man and this woman would be married. And, 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 and it's so legally binding. If you look at verse 19, the text says, and her husband, Joseph. It is so legally binding that you, you might as well call the man the husband and the woman the wife. Because within a year's part, the betrothal process usually took a year. But after that year, the wedding would take place, the second piece. And, and it, it is so done, the text calls Joseph the husband. So the problem that Joseph had is him being a righteous man, and, 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 what, and what the text means is that not so that he was, he was pious, but he wanted to follow the rule of God. He wanted to follow the law of God. And the law of God said that if you were supposed to marry someone, if you were married to someone, if they, if they were caught in adultery, if they were caught in sexual immorality, then they must be divorced because they have broke the covenant. So what Joseph is going through, he's, he's saying that, man, this is, this is Mary, I, I love her. The, 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 the law, and I, I, I want to be obedient to the law, is telling me that I need to divorce her, but I, I need to do it in a way that doesn't bring her much harm. He only has two options. Because a divorce in this day, it would either be a public divorce, which he would go to the court, and all their business would be put out in the street. 
And everybody would know what happened. And, and Mary would be shamed, and, and she would have this, this stain against her life. And when no, one, no one would want to marry her ever again. Or he could put her away privately. He could, he could sign a divorce decree in, the, in, in front of two or three witnesses and put her off quietly. So Joseph is struggling. He, he wants to do a, the, the right thing. He wants to have compassion. He wants to demonstrate his love for, for, for Mary, but he wants to be obedient to the law. So he decides that he wants to divorce her quietly. He wants to obey the law. But God steps in, and God says, Joseph, don't trip. Joseph, don't worry, because that child is not from another man. The child that is in Mary's womb has been conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was no man, there was no infidelity, there there was nothing wrong going on, but God himself has chosen to come through the womb of this particular woman. And he says something specific to Joseph. He says, don't be afraid. He's not saying don't be afraid of me because I'm I'm an angel and I'm glorious. He said, don't be afraid of what Mary may say. He's saying, don't be afraid of what people may think of you when you marry her. Don't worry about what they say, because I got to... I got a message from God, and he has a plan for your life. See, a lot of times we move away from the message that God wants to, ha- wants to move in our lives because we're worried about what everybody else is going to say. God is calling you to some places that you're worried about what everybody else is going to say, but God is saying, I got a plan for you, though. And if you're worried about what everyone else is going to say, then you're not going to realize what I have for you. You're worried about losing friendships. You worried about losing relationships. You worried about losing a job when it was God himself who gave you that job in the first place. Don't fear when God calls you to obedience. You just obey and leave the consequences to God. I love that Charles Stanley quote. You just obey. Because if God has called you to somewhere, he's already worked it out. If he calls you to the end, he has the first, the middle, and last already worked out on your behalf. You just obey. And what do we see happen? This is incredible. Joseph, he obeys. It didn't say a week later. later. It didn't say when he thought he got himself together. It says immediately he gets up and he has the wedding. He, he moves her in with him. He, he doesn't consummate the marriage. He doesn't have sexual relations with his wife Mary now. And he does what the angel says as he names the child Jesus. What type of obedience is that? Joseph gave up his personal rights in order to be obedient to God. Can we say that about our lives? We're so quick to talk about our rights. We're so quick to talk about what is and what ain't fair. We're so quick to talk about what should be coming my way and what shouldn't be coming my way that sometimes we're so caught up in me that we miss out on what God wants to do do through obedience unto him. By being obedient, Joseph fulfills the prophecy. Well, how so? If you look at the genealogy in chapter 1, there's a, little, there's a little hitch that you're trying to figure out what's going on. 
Because in verse 16, he says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, is called Christ. Now, this is Joseph's genealogy. And, you, and it is easy to say, but, but, jo, but Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. He, 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 Jesus didn't come through his seed. But what the angel was doing, notice nowhere in the text, Joseph, he, he's not called the father of Jesus. But notice what does happen. In the text, the angel identifies Joseph for who he is. He is the son of David. And then he says to him, and when the child is born, you shall name him Jesus. Not Mary, not anyone else. You will give him his name, Jesus. And by you giving him his name, Jesus, you fulfill the Jewish legal right of a father to give their child a name. So him standing up and giving Jesus his name, in, in, in essence, he is adopting Jesus. And now Jesus is legally the son of Joseph, legally the son of David, legally the Messiah. He's come through the king, the Davidic line, through Joseph. So now, the text says, and he called his name Jesus by standing up and saying, his name is Jesus. He's also saying, that's my son. I've adopted him. He belongs to me while he's here on earth. And Matthew, he finishes up with this connection to the Old Testament. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's, God with us. He's referring back to Isaiah, the seventh chapter, and the 14th verse, in the midst of a trying time in, uh, in the kingdom of Judah. King Ahaz, he's scared of what Israel, the northern kingdom, would do, for they have, they have partnered and conspired with Syria to come and attack and to take over the land. But even though Ahaz is a wicked king, this is why God is so sweet. Even when you are a wicked king, even when you are a wicked individual, he still will make provision to save you. And he is saying, and he tells uh, Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah that, that this sign will come to show you that though it looks dark, though it looks like your kingdom's going to be taken over, I will be with you. And the sign would be this virgin who conceives and gives birth. Matthew's laying out for us that in the midst of darkness and despair, Emmanuel shows up. Emmanuel is showing up here in the New Testament to rescue his people. And this, this conception was not from man. This conception was from God. This is not a sexual conception, which some uh, Muslims would, would try to say that God had sex with Mary. That is, it is not a sexual, but, but this conception was from the Holy Spirit. How do, we see the old, how do we see the Holy Spirit moving in the Old Testament? The, in the Old Testament, we always see the Holy Spirit as the one who is the agency of God's power, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. In Genesis 1 and 2, the text says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over creation. It was the Spirit of God that brought into life all that we see and have before us right now. The Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is the one who, who settles over the womb of Mary and brings forth life just like Genesis 1 and 2. What Matthew is revealing to us is that God's supernatural power is breaking in upon the world in order to rescue us. So all through Scripture, we see that God is working with us and through us for his glory and for our good. Philippians 2 tells us that uh, it, it, it is, uh, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in us. So understand that there's this aspect that we are working alongside God for his glory and his plans and his good. There, there's some work we got to do. But what the text is showing us is though there may be some work for us to do, there's a whole lot of work that we can't do. And we need God to break in upon our lives in a supernatural way to take over and to do what he needs to do with our lives. Because as human beings, we want to take control of our lives. We want to take control of our destiny. And God needs to break in and break our heads sometimes to show us that we need to start being independent from him and to start being dependent on him. It is only through the supernatural work of God that we have been rescued. It is only through the supernatural work of God coming out of glory, descending, being born of a virgin, in order that he may live the life that you and I cannot live. And he's gonna, he died the, the death that we deserve. He, he takes all of our sins and places it upon his back. That's supernatural, beloved. You can't be God. You can't do the God thing. We get all these fake apostles and prophets running around here talking about they could just heal anybody. Come on stage and throw me $29.99 my healing cloth and, and you'll be healed all right. If God was really using them to heal some folks, why don't you show up at Baptist East? Why don't you show up at Norton's? Why don't you heal the folks that's up in there right now? Why are you trying to limit the power of God if it's a supernatural power? God has to show up because there's a whole lot of stuff that God needs to do all by himself. Recognize the supernatural work of God in and around your life. But not only the, uh, does Matthew lay out for us the means of God with us, but he gives us the meaning of God with us. Because what we have here in verses 18 through 25 is another genealogy. In verses 1 through 17, we see that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. In verses 18 through 25, we see that Jesus is the son of God. This genealogy just has two individuals, the Holy Spirit and Mary. Jesus shows up through this divine conception in order to save his people from their sins. This virgin birth has so much meaning. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, God himself coming to the earth, has so much meaning. Part of that is the fact that Jesus is full deity and full humanity wrapped up in one person. He is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. 
This is extraordinary. There's, there's no miracle like it. How can God and man exist in one person? He is Jesus Christ. We have his divine nature and his human nature coinciding and coalescing in one person. This combination called the hypostatic union. Beloved, when we think about Jesus walking the roads and healing, and there's a temptation sometimes to try to figure out, well, I wonder if that was God's nature working. And I wonder was that his human nature working. Just say, Yes. Well, was his divine nature working here and his human nature working there? Yes. There's no either or when it comes to Jesus. He's one person with two natures. He's the God man. That's why he's not like you and I, but he is like you and I. He's he's able to, to, to know our temptations. He's able to, to know our struggles. He, he knows where we, where we fall and fail. He knows what it's like to have Satan's face turned towards you, uh, Satan's gaze to be on your back. He knows what it is to lose a loved one. He knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. But yet, though he was hungry, he was the one still making the bread. Though he was the baby in the manger, he was still the one sustaining the universe by the power of his word. Though he was 30 years of age on this earth, he still was existing eternally apart from from his work here on earth. Though Jesus died, he still conquered death. And though Jesus is in heaven right now, he's still present with us. He's the God man. Though, Though Jesus is transcendent, he's still Emmanuel, God with us. So we see from the virgin birth this, the full deity of Jesus and his full humanity wrapped up in one person. But not only do we get that meaning from the text, but we also get the understanding that because of Christ, his true humanity, he has come yet without inherited sin. That's a big deal. Turn with me to Romans, the fifth chapter right quick. Romans, the fifth chapter. Go with me to verse 12. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 12. Listen. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. You see how? Because the one sin, now death spreads to all men. In verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam comes on the scene, he, he, is, he, he, he is not in sin, but yet he disobeys God. And because Adam falls into sin, as our human representative, he is what is called our federal head. He repre- represents all of us. So because Adam sinned, we inherit that sin nature as well. And from Adam to Moses, 
from Moses to David, from David to Isaiah, from Isaiah to Malachi, from Malachi to Matthew, this, this inherited sin is being passed along from generation to generation to generation. But Jesus shows up, and though he's in the family of Joseph, he is not the direct seed of Joseph, so that inheritance of sin from generation to generation is skipped. So when that, when that sin is skipped for a generation, now you have one whose nature is not full of sin. Now you have one who can obey God because he's born without a sin nature. So now you have one who is able to be obedient, who is able to follow the law, who is able to do what is expected of him through the law in order to be our righteousness because he does not have the sin nature like we do. So the virgin birth is telling us and reminding us if it had not been Jesus showing up, we would still be headed to hell generation after generation after generation because the sin inherited from us, from Adam, lives within us. But the blood of Jesus is what washes away our sins. Salvation comes from the Lord and never through human effort. You can never be good enough. You can never be nice enough. You can never read your Bible enough. You can never pray enough. You can never give enough. Because you are so broken, lost in your sin, you are so depraved. We have all committed cosmic treason against God, and we deserve death. But Jesus, Emmanuel, has come, and he's interrupted that original sin, and he stepped into the, the lineage of Adam, and now instead of in one man, we all die. Now in the new man, Jesus Christ, we all shall live. That's the meaning that Matthew wants to show us, that there is hope. For a broken humanity. And the hope, his name is Emmanuel. Matthew shows us the means of God with us, the, the meaning of God with us, but then lastly, he shows us the message of God with us. Because God has come to do something. What does he say in verse 21? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God hasn't showed up just to look cute. God shows up to do work. You know how we show up for church sometimes on Sunday? Sometimes we show up just to be cute. I had a bad week. I just need some people to tell me I look good. I'm just feeling kind of Bad about my, my self-esteem, kind of low. I just want somebody to say, you look cute today. Jesus don't, he doesn't show up to look cute. Jesus shows up to put in some work. And his work is to save his people from their sins. Now, Matthew points this out because this will actually be contrary to messianic expectations. For Jews, they, uh, they expected the Messiah to come 
and to immediately rule on the throne and to reign and to take over from Roman occupation. They expected the Messiah to come with a sword and to, and to uh, help the, the Israelites to rise up and conquer everyone else. But Matthew is saying, no, that's, that's coming, but not yet. I want you to know that the Messiah has come to save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yahweh saves, has come. He has come to save uh, this word, uh, to cause someone to experience divine salvation. To save implies that the person being saved could not save themselves. We can act like we can save ourselves. But the sin on and in and through our lives remind us that we cannot save ourselves. And he comes to save his people. Who are his people? We can go back to Genesis 12. The family of Abraham. Those people who are grafted into the family line. Because uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and they said, uh, we are all sons of Abraham. He said, you ain't no son of Abraham just because you was born and, and, uh, you was born a, an Israelite. Uh, matter of fact, you're not a son of Abraham. You're the son of the, uh, the devil. You are the son of Satan. Only those who have been grafted in. To, to whom has received Jesus Christ, have the right to become children of God, John 1 and 12. So we're reminded that only those who are now part of the family of Abraham are, are now sons of the Most High God and able to inherit uh, eternal life. That's why we used to sing that song. Father Abraham, I am one. I am one. Y'all remember that? Right arm, left arm. You know, we're sons of Abraham. We, you want to be in Abraham's family. Because if you ain't in Abraham's family, you're not part of God's family. He comes to save his people, the family of Abraham. But here's the key. From their sins. This word sin means to miss the mark. Hitting the wrong mark. God has a standard. You are not hitting God's standard. To sin is a transgression of God's law. God has laid out how we should live. He has a design that we are to live according. But when we depart from that design, the Bible calls that sin. His precepts and commands and testimonies, we are to obey. But when we disobey God's law, we fall into sin. Sin is a failure to conform to the standard of God. So, so I, I may think that I'm not sinning, but if I'm not looking like Jesus every single day, I'm still falling short of his glory. Sin is a principle within man. It's, it's, it's not just out there. Sin is not just the things we do. Sin is in here. It's, 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 that's why we do the things that we do out there. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You cussing out folks, talking about where that came from? That came from your heart. You got attitudes with everybody, where that come from? I wonder what's wrong. Something wrong with your heart. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is wrongful acts toward God and man. Beloved, when, 
when, when Matthew says Jesus has come to save his people from their sins, he's saying that Jesus has come into a world where sin is prevalent. This is a sinful world. If you don't believe me, you don't even got to turn on your TV. Just pick up your phone. This is a sinful world full of distraction, full of depravity. And we are immersed in this sinful, broken world with broken social structures that oppress and marginalize individuals. That's why the gospel speaks to social justice. The gospel comes in and says, not only am I going to redeem the individuals in the system, but the system itself needs to be redeemed. But Jesus not only comes into a world where sin is prevalent, Jesus comes into a world where sin is personal. You a sinner, and I'm a sinner. It's not them down the street. It's not them over at next door. It's not them kids. They're they're your kids. It's not they mama. It's your mama. Sin is personal. Your sin have separated you from God. Okay, let me make it plain. Your foul mouth has separated you from God. No, okay, let me... Your bad attitude has separated you from God. See, we like to say sin, this, this, this ethereal thing that's kind of out there. No, it's in you and it's in me. Your disobedience to your parents has separated you from God. Beloved, your pettiness separates you from God. Your sexual activity and immorality separates you from God. Now, it, your drug abuse separates you from God. Your pride, your arrogance, your hubris separates you from God. It's not their pride, it's your pride. Sin is personal. That's why the text says, beloved, God himself, God himself, no other substitute would satisfy the depravity of your sin. God himself had to get up on, on Calvary's cross. God himself had to shed his blood on your and my behalf. God himself had to lay down his life. God himself had to stay buried in the tomb three days. But beloved, it was God himself who got up with all power in his hand for your sin and my sin. That's why God had to come. Let's do a sin check. Turn with me right quick to 2 Timothy. Because I think I might not be getting through. So I'm going to let the word of God speak. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Bring it up on your, your Bible, your device, or whatever. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. We're going to do a sin check. If you could check off any of these things, just say check. Don't be looking down the road. 
he says, but understand this, that in the last days there would be, there would come times of difficulty. All right, y'all ready to do some checks? For people will be lovers of self. Check. Lovers of money. Check. That's why y'all get up to go to work during the week. But y'all don't get paid to go to Sunday school. That's why y'all don't come. <laughs> I ain't mean to say that out loud. My bad. Let me just keep going. Proud. Check. Arrogant. Check. Abusive. Check. Y'all ever talked about somebody? Yeah. Disobedient to their parents. All y'all children, y'all always obey? Yeah, check. Unholy. You ever said anything unholy? Woo. Let that hammer fall on your toe. A lot of unholiness coming out. Kick, kick the corner of the bed in the morning when you get up. You know when you go to the bed, you kick the bed. You're like, oh! Y'all know. Heartless. Check. Oh, I could be mean. I, I, beloved, I can be, oh, I can be mean. Woo, I could be mean. I could be heartless. Unappeasable. No matter what you do for this person, it's, still, it's never enough. I asked you to let me hold 40. You only gave me 35. <laughs> Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. Y'all, are y'all slick with it? You sneaky with your sin? Yeah, I'm going to get over on them. They think they got me this time. I got some for them. Reckless. We so reckless with our lives. Like we actually got more than one to live. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Anyone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ right now is a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Jesus has come into a world where sin is prevalent for people whose sin is personal, and we are a separated people. But let me show you one last verse. Turn with me back to Romans, the fifth chapter. We'll wrap up here. Romans, the fifth chapter. So often... And what I love about God and what I love about Scripture is that God will lay out the bad news before he lays out the good news. And the text tells us here in Romans, the fifth chapter, in verse 15, now, the prior verses talks about how sin came into the world through Adam. But Paul says there's something else that has come into this world, this free gift of salvation. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died 
through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, even when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, even when you were sinning over and over and over again, he says, even following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Though death came by Adam, life comes in Jesus. Because God is with us, sin doesn't have to rule over you any longer. And that is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel says that when we see the name Emmanuel, that name reminds us that we are all failures. Oh, if I was all right, I wouldn't need God himself to come. Or if my sin was just a little bit, then maybe I could still get away with a, a, a sacrifice. But the fact that Emmanuel has come reminds you and reminds I that, that we all stand equal at the foot of the cross as failures. But that name, Emmanuel, it, it, it reminds us that we can't fix ourselves. That there's no effort, there's no human achievement, there's not enough math papers, there's not enough diplomas, there's not enough money to make me acceptable to God. I can't fix myself. But beloved, the name Emmanuel reminds us that God has not left us in our brokenness. He has not left us in our failures. He has not left us in our faults. But he has made a way for redemption and reconciliation to him through Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. Would you look to Emmanuel today? Look to Jesus today. Through repentance and faith. Repentance, the Bible word, that means that you are willing to turn from living for yourself and turn towards Jesus Christ. Repentance says, I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. Repentance says, Lord, I agree with you about how you feel about my sin, and I know I need a Savior. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I have sinned against you. And faith says, now I trust and believe that Jesus has accomplished what he says he has accomplished, and he is the one who will lead me to salvation. He alone. When we look to Jesus, you may pray something like this, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Please help me to turn from living for myself, but help me to turn to live for you. I believe that you are the Son of God that you lived a sinless life, and that you died on Calvary's cross in my place, that I deserve the entire wrath of God to be poured on top of me, but you took that punishment in my place as a substitute. 
And when you died, all those who place their faith and trust in you, their sins go with you into the grave, never to be brought up again. And I believe that on the third day, you did, uh, God did raise you from the, grave, from the dead and that you now have all power in your hand and that you're coming back. Lord, I, I believe you are who you say you are and you have done what you said you would do. And that is to save his people from their sins. You could pray something like that today. Trust in God for salvation. This beautiful picture we have in the Gospel of Matthew, in just eight verses, he has given us the means of God with us, the meaning of God with us, and the message of God with us. Emmanuel, call his name today. Father, thank you for who you are. You are good, great, and glorious, and I just thank you for your word. It is such a treasure. So, Father, as we have bathed in your word this morning, I ask that you would break hard hearts and that you would draw someone to you today. May they see their sin for what it is, that which separates us from a holy and righteous God. Father, it was not our baptism. It was not our church attendance when we was growing up. But it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ and our love for him right now that saves us. So, Father, for the one who is wayward, I ask that you would turn their hearts back to you. For the one that is lost, I ask that you would give them sight. And for the one who is broken in despair, that you would build them up and encourage them in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you, knowing that you have promised your word will not return void. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.